Welcome to episode 55 of Larry Dowdy Mike's Side, and you're going to love this installment of Where Are They Now? After a wonderful run on WDVJ7, filling in from time to time on Q99 and The Breakfast Club, Patrick Evans is loving life in the desert. Today, he's at KESQ News Channel 3, Palm Springs, involved in the food business, husband, father, still the fun-loving Patrick Evans from the WDVJ days. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Larry, I was just delighted that you, first of all, remembered me, and second of all, invited me on the podcast. It's it was I was just saying before we started recording. It's really nice to catch up with you. We we overlapped in the desert, and you worked at WDBJ and had mm-hmm. a had a great run following Irv, and uh, those were such fun days working at that TV station. And and we you and I both had the experience of working with Leonard Wheeler and his radio stations in Roanoke. That was uh, the best decade of my life. I've had two great decades here in Palm Springs and things are going great, but I look back so fondly at my decade in Roanoke, Virginia. Well, it was a wonderful time. So, Patrick, how did you wind up in the Star City? And when you came to the Star City, was it all about your weather job at 7? It was. I was working at WVIR in Charlottesville, Virginia. I'd worked there through high school and college. I've really never worked outside of of a television newsroom. And I started at WVR, and when I went to UVA, they they said, well, you you can keep your job. And so I did, and I worked five days a week. I was the studio. We had, back in those days, we had a floor director, and I operated the cameras in the studio for the 6 and 11 o'clock newscast. So I loaded the teleprompter back Mm -hmm. when you did such things. Uh, It used to be a real conveyor belt in the back of the studio, and you would lay physical scripts on it. That's what I did and would give all the cues and, and that sort of thing. And then uh, when I was studying at UVA, I started studying environmental science. And the summer before my fourth year at UVA, they needed a weekend weathercaster. And I'd been studying environmental science. I'd been working at the TV station. So I, I auditioned for the job and I got that. So I, my last year of college, I worked six or seven days a week at the TV station. During the week, I was the cameraman and floor director for the newscast. And then on the weekends, I was the weather guy. And they offered me the morning weather job at WVR. Literally, it started the day after I graduated. So I graduated from UVA on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I started in the mornings at you know 5 a.m. So I had a very short graduation party. <laughs> and I worked there for, for about a year and a half before uh, Jim Shaver, who was the news director at WDBJ, he called me. I did a presentation at a weather conference in Roanoke. And came down to the convention center and, and did a presentation on the work that I was doing with uh, developing a network of weather watchers and what we'd done at, at WVR. And Shaver called me and said, I've got a, a gal. She's great. She's leaving for San Diego, and I need somebody to come in here. And uh, you know Jim Shaver, and he's got that great Floyd County accent. He said, I need somebody who can come in here and step right into her shoes, and I don't need anybody who's going to give me a lot of trouble. <laughs> I saw you at this conference. You seem like you know what you're doing. If you want to come down and talk to me, I'll be available. I'm like, absolutely. So that's how I got the job in Roanoke. And I was delighted because uh, Charlottesville Television, so, you know, there, there are 210 television markets in the country. 210 is the smallest, New York number one. Charlottesville's 186. <laughs> Roanoke at the time was about 65. Sure. It was a, a big jump in market size. And probably about another seven grand of money. So it was really, it was a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, so I moved to Roanoke in 1990 and I uh, was there for a decade. And I just, 
I was there. Bob Lee was the GM when I got hired, and he was a delightful gentleman. Uh, we had a great run. Jim Shaver and Jim Kent were my news directors, and I, I, I dearly loved working for that television station. And Joe DeShiel and the folks, many of whom are still there, and you and I got to overlap. Yep. Uh, it, it was a great crew. It was just a really, really fun place to work. It was uh, it was a magical crew. I mean, you mentioned it. We first met uh, when I moved from radio to TV and morning in 92 for me. Uh, you were with me my first week as uh, I was learning the ropes, learning the ropes from you. But you made me feel welcome. You, I was just so grateful because I was a you radio were su- guy. Successful despite the fact that you learned the ropes. <laughs> I had the privilege of filling in for Irv and getting to know Irv, who was an institution. I mean, he was at the television station when it went on the air and he was there. He was there when it was a radio station. Yes. And Irv defined what morning television was in Southwest Virginia. I filled in and I was deathly afraid that when Irv decided to retire, that they were going to ask me to do it. And I, I was averse to a morning schedule. I was delighted I did a lot of film work, but when when they invited you on over, number one, you were, I think, the perfect replacement for her. You had the level of experience in the market, and it was just a really easy transition. People felt very comfortable with you. And so I loved working with you. Uh, it was it was uh, I think that made it a really easy transition for our morning viewers. Well, you're you're very kind, but I'm I'm just totally grateful for uh, learning the ropes from you at the time because uh, that first week, it's like, wait a minute, I'm a I'm a radio guy, and now I got to look at a camera. Come on now, but uh, you you, you had know, to shave, you, had to, you know, yeah, like actually yeah. <laughs> can't wear a baseball hat. Like I mean, that's the great fun about radio is you show up and you talk into the mic, and no one cares what you look like. Yeah, well, the worst part was you had to wear pants. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. but uh, what was part of your love, even? Even when you were working uh, or filling in on the morning show, and typically you you would have the noon uh, weather, and then I think they added you to 5 o'clock in the afternoon, basically doing what I was doing in the morning, being out in the field. You're just such a people person. You love things like that, don't you? Uh, Yes. I mean, that was, you know, so when I I was hired at WDBJ, my job was to do some reporting, environmental reporting, and do the 11 o'clock newscast. the weather guy at Mm -hmm. 11 and we had an entirely different crew at 11 than we did from six o'clock uh and robin reed actually was doing noon and six and that was a great schedule for him but as television progressed they decided they really needed consistency in the evening newscast and i don't think that robin loved going back to working till midnight uh but they said patrick we're going to put you at noon and then we're going to put you out in the field at five Mm o'clock and basically you're going to find the fun enjoyable or important events that are taking place and you're going to be our field anchor at five o'clock and i wasn't even sure how what that looked like you know because i i most of my work in television i'd done reporting in the field but to do a daily live segment and, and you know this to to find the interesting thing mm-hmm. and to find the people who want to be on camera with you and you know they were throwing to us for three four that's a long time four minute segments five minute segments in a newscast is a long time, but it ended up because I am a people person and I, you know, I love Roanoke. It was pretty easy to find people who had interesting stories. And that was kind of the goal was to go find an interesting story and make it look interesting. I had a gentleman by the name of Scott Ayers who worked for Roanoke television for 
for a long time. Now he's at uh, Napa Auto Parts. He's an amazing. He was an amazing photographer, and he really was much more than that. He was a field producer. We we got out in the field, and he would stage and set up everything. And, and he'd tell me like, "You're going to start here. You're going to finish here. You're going to talk to her. This is her name. Remember her name." Yeah, he was great. And we were a team out in the field. And it over the years, I think we did some pretty good television out in the field. Yeah, truly. Well, you had Scott in the afternoon. I had Sam Doyle in the morning. So we were set. Sam Doyle, and I believe he was a Marine. He was. And he never lost. to, to He was that guy. It's like, <laughs> you get up in the morning, put him in a live truck and say, take that hill. Give me, <laughs> give me an hour of live television. You got it done. Sam got it done. Sam Doyle was... Uh, the consummate professional, as was Scotty. Yeah, truly. Uh, when I interviewed Robin Reed, uh, former meteorologist, now co-anchor at 6 at 7, um, I guess that was episode 45 of Mike's Side. Robin talked about the big weather names who went on to see success. Bruce Edwards, Andrew Frieden in Richmond, Jay Webb has moved to management in Harrisonburg, Frank Billingsley in Houston, yourself, Cecily Tynan now in Philly. What makes the Roanoke market such a great stepping stone to weather? Well, first and foremost, Robin Reed. And I know that he has graduated from weather. But when I came to uh, Roanoke in 1990 and I interviewed in, in 89, I met Robin he was the Dean of Weathercasters. He'd come from Harrisonburg and Robin's forgotten more than we're, we're ever going to know about weather. <laughs> this guy true. is and the, and the Roanoke market. And, and, and that's why he is where he is today. But all of those names that you mentioned have one thing in common. We interned or worked with Robin Reed and uh, you know, Andrew Frieden was a UVA guy mm-hmm. like me. And he found me and he came, Andrew slept on my couch in South Roanoke. Uh, to, he really wanted to intern at DBJ, and I said, "Come on down." Uh, and so he interned with me, and he literally for a couple of weeks he slept on my couch and came in. And you know, he's become. I find weather people that I work with today here in California, they're following Andrew, and they're like, "This guy's hysterical, and he knows this stuff." I'm like, he was my intern, you know, <laughs> twenty five years ago. Like, no way. But you know, Cecily came through. She was at Washington and Lee. Mm-hmm. I think she was one of the first of classes of women at Washington and League. And she interned with us and eventually did, I believe, weekend weather mm-hmm. uh, as she went to Las Vegas, right? which was a huge growing market at the time. And I'm forever grateful to, to Cecily. I went to Vegas to visit her and to see Frank Sinatra in his last years of performing in Vegas. Who would have ever thought that? You and Frank and Sinatra. It, <laughs> yeah. And so... <laughs> And I spent time with she and, and and the crew there. And then, of course, she ended up in Philly, which is a number, you know, top four market. And she's been there for a long time. And she's the dean of weathercasters in Philly. So the nexus of all of that is Robin, because he, he trains people exceedingly well. Uh, he expects a lot from you. He wants you to understand the weather. Uh, you had to be good at what you did. And but you also had to understand the market. Robin had been in the market for when I got there, 20 years and. In fact, it was very funny. Jim Shaver once said to me, he said, you know, one day this guy I got, Robin Reed, my chief meteorologist, but he's going to move on because he's good. And I need someone who could step into his shoes. Well, Robin never moved on. I didn't get to step in Robin's shoes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brett Watts did. 
but uh, <laughs> but only because Robin decided to graduate to anchoring. But we all, you know, we all were expected to to know the weather and, and provide a quality product to the viewers, and and that's that starts and ends with Robin Reed. So today you're doing weather at KESQ News Channel Three in Palm Springs. Uh, does the weather change? It changes. All right. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the spiel that I give the Rotary Club when I go and speak to them. <laughs> okay. This is the hardest weather job in the country. You can work in Cleveland where it's 51 day and 80 the next. Sure. Easy to see coming. You can see a 30 degree swing any day. Here in Palm Springs, it can be 99 one day and 100 the next. It's a one degree differential. And it takes an incredibly skilled meteorologist to determine that one degree. And that's <laughs> what we do. So, you know, weather in the desert is very different, but today, and uh, if you could see, you'd be shocked. We have 350 days of sunshine a year. This is one where we don't. We've got thunderstorms. I've got a flash flood watch. Uh, I've got all kinds of stuff going on. The desert is an extreme environment. And, and what you learn is, you know, I came out here and I thought, I've chased up a radar. I've chased hurricanes. I've done the tornado stuff. I'm going to come out here and play a little golf, hit a cactus tree, have fun. There's a lot of weather here. Uh, it's different from the East Coast. Mm -hmm. We get big winter storms that come in off the Pacific. We get um, winds in our windy season. We have one of the one of the windiest places on the face of the planet is the Banning Pass, which is immediately adjacent to Palm Springs. And you, when you come in, you'll see all these windmills. They're there for a reason. And we get incredible winds throughout the year. Winds of of hurricane force that are just caused by winds coming through this narrow pass. There are two mountains that really create the entrance to the Palm Springs area, Mount San Jacinto and Mount San Gorgonio. They're, they're the two tallest mountains in Southern California. Mm -hmm. And there's this very narrow gap between these two 10,000 foot mountains and we get incredible winds and it's very disruptive. Uh, I mean, you can get a car that ends up with frosted windows by the time you drive to work because you're getting sandblasted on the way to work. So we have very disruptive weather, but in different ways. In the summertime, what we've got now are monsoonal thunderstorms that come up out of Arizona. So it's different. We don't get hurricanes. We get maybe in California, you might get 15 tornadoes a year. And one of them will happen in the desert. That's it. But there is a lot of change. Yeah, during the summer, it's a lot of sunny and hot, but which is also, by the way, why people live here. It's <laughs> sunny and hot in the winter. I get sunny it. in 78, and we love it. You know, from, from November to May, it's paradise. I hear you. Uh, I was reading your bio, and you also uh, doing something at uh, KWXY called the uh, the Sound of the Desert. What what's that all about? Okay, so you know I've always liked to have a little radio to go along with television. Sure. And KWXY is kind of a heritage radio station here in the valley. We play mm -hmm. a lot of Sinatra, who obviously Frank lived here. Frank is buried here. Frank Frank chose the desert over everywhere else. Uh, we're a rat pack place and I've got lots of great stories about Sinatra here in the desert. Uh, so for a couple of hours a day, I get to play the music I like on this radio station. It's been around for 50 years and uh, our owner's a guy named Louis Camella. He's a business guy out of Houston, but came to the desert, bought up some radio stations and said, let's just do it the old fashioned way. And I have a ton of fun. Um, it's just a, you know, music has always been a passion of mine, and I love radio. Leonard Wheeler, when you and I had a chance to work with Leonard, I mean, you learn to love radio because he loves radio, and it's just a fun place to work. 
there are a lot of radio stations that aren't that much fun, as, as you and I both know. But sure. KWXY is one of those, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. And, and we're having a lot of fun just playing great music that I, I adore, you know, and I get to pick it, and I, I just have fun with it. Patrick, uh, five best Francis Albert Sinatra songs. Do you have five favorites off the top of your head? Yeah, I can give you five. Number one for me is Summer Wind. Mm-hmm. It's a weather song. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. I love it. Uh, number two, and this is not in any order. It's, okay. Strangers of the Night's a great song. Frank hated it, but everybody else loves it. Uh, and I've told my wife this. I love the song My Way, but please don't play it at my funeral. It would just be cliche. I can't have it. I can't have it. <laughs> then you can kind of dig into different albums. Mm-hmm. And one of the great Frank Sinatra albums that I think uh, is is a, a concept album called Come Fly With Me. And the title track from that, that album, Come Fly With Me, is just written by Jimmy Van Heusen. He was a test pilot in World War II. It, it just all works, yeah. you know, and a big orchestra with Nelson Riddle. And then there's a little sleeper song that I dearly love. And it and you as a radio guy may know this. It's the only number one hit recorded by a father-daughter duo in the United States. Came out in 1966. Is that something stupid? That Yes, sir. See? <laughs> Larry's never far from his roots. Yeah, it's something stupid. Nancy and Frank. She had just come off of doing These Boots Were Made for Walking, and Frank wanted to do something with her. And I love that song. That, that is just a great song. If Frank was still around today, would he be doing duets like Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga, you think? Oh, no question. I, you know, I think, and you look at the popularity of the sales of duets one and two in the early 90s, uh, they selected some really great talent. I, it was a stroke of genius for Tony Bennett to team up with Lady Gaga because we all discovered she's got chops. Mm-hmm. I mean, this woman can sing. Yeah, She's not just a pop singer. Uh, I mean, anybody can get in a studio and, and go toe-to-toe with Tony Bennett and, and make it sound. It, it was... Um, Tony Bennett did a number of, of duets with people prior to that. He always picked great singers. And Lady Gaga, like when you first saw it, you're like, what is he? Like, come on. The girl in the meat dress? <laughs> but she's really an amazing singer. She really, she really is. is. Yeah, yeah. And right. she understands the music. She, oh. she has an appreciation for that kind of music. You know, I could see Frank doing duets with people like Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see Frank doing duets with some modern country folks. Yeah who are big in the charts, I think he always had an eye for, for young talent that he liked to to pick out. It was competitive. He didn't want him to do better than he did. Patrick, I got uh, less than five minutes here, but I did want to ask you about your love for Italian sausage. Now, you're actually <laughs> president and CEO of this company? I started the company uh, about six years ago. I'd been doing, word got out around town that I could cook a little bit, and so I've been auctioned off as a guest chef for some dinners, and I would just make very traditional Italian food. One of the things that my dad taught me to do was make Italian sausage from scratch. And it was something that he and I would do. It was a bonding activity. It was, you know, keeping the tradition of our family alive. So I made that for one of these dinners, and this guy pulled me aside. He said, look, I grew up in New York. I haven't had – I moved to California 30 years ago. I haven't had a good piece of Italian sausage until you – showed up and did this dinner where did you get this sausage and i said i made it in my kitchen he's like no way nobody makes sausage i said i he said okay we're going to find a test kitchen and we're going to market this because there's got to be a market for good italian sausage so uh my father was still with us at the time uh and his name was fulvio antonio iacetta so i named the company fulvio's foods 
because I'd like to expand out of Italian sausage and we, we make meatballs and we make sauce and, and um, Pop's no longer with us. And it was, which for the company may be fortunate. He wanted to charge me for his likeness on the labels. <laughs> and so, I can't have that. Come on, Pop, we're not making that kind of margin. But uh, <laughs> I did it as a tribute to dad. I was, I was glad that he was still with us when I started and he would get a kick. We go to restaurants around Palm Springs that carry Fulvio's Italian sausage and they list it on the menu. And so Pop's name lives on and the family tradition lives on. And I, you know, I love food. Uh, if I had any talent as a chef, I would have done that in, in restaurants instead of weather. But you know, that's a lot of work. Weather, weather's yeah. a little easier. But, <laughs> so, but yeah, I do. I, you know, I'm, I'm really, it's, it's a labor of love. Uh, and through the pandemic, it's been really difficult because we're, we primarily service restaurants and most of our restaurants were closed during COVID. Mm -hmm. And, but it, again, it's just a labor of love. It's, it's just about family and keeping my dad's traditions alive. Thank you for sharing that. You mentioned a minute ago, uh, your wife, you have a family, a couple of daughters. Is that right? Yes. My, I married my wife. We've been married for a little over five years, Andrea. Uh, I met her. She was on a girls weekend out here in Palm Springs. Yeah. Uh, she is a, a super high power lawyer in LA. Uh, and we luckily she didn't know anything about me when we met. So we kind of hit it off. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, she has two daughters from her first marriage, uh, Vesta and Corinna, and they're they're amazing. They're straight A students. They're they're these great kids. Corinna will graduate high school this coming year. Vesta's a little younger. Andrea still has a thriving practice in L.A. So we we have a place in L.A. We have a place in here. We go back and forth. We li I live here in the desert all the time, and she comes in or sometimes on the weekends I go to LA. It depends on the, you know, with kids, it's all about who's going to soccer, who's going to volleyball. True. Where do I, all I am right now is a taxi service and an ATM. That's my job. That's what I do. <laughs> well, you do it very uh, well. Uh, any, uh, <laughs> any closing words for uh, folks who used to watch you on seven or listen to you on Q99? Well, I will say, you know, my years in Roanoke, that decade is still the most special 10 years of, of, of my career. And, it was really formative. I moved to, to, to Roanoke when I was in my very early 20s. And it was just a great decade of work. The TV station, the radio stations I worked for were. But, and as you know, with social media, the fun is staying in touch with people. And over the years, I look at my Facebook account, I have so many people who have stayed with me. I've been gone from, from Roanoke for 20 years. I've been at this TV station for 20 years this year. Yeah. And I have a lot of, I do a little cooking segment on Facebook once a week, have a ton of people from Roanoke who, who have stayed in touch over the years. And that means so much to me. And I think it is so gratifying because I love those, those years. And I, I just so cherish that continued connection. Virginia's my home state. And, uh, you know, mom and dad are gone, so I don't get back as much as I used to. But that connection with Roanoke I have is so special to me, and it keeps me grounded. And, and it reminds me every day of, you know, why I got in the business in the first place, to make those kinds of connections with people. Thank you for doing the podcast. My pleasure. Larry, thank you for asking me. I appreciate that somebody remembered. I appreciate you joining me for Larry Doughty Mike's Side and Episode 55 with meteorologist Patrick Evans 
And where are they now? If you like Mike's side, follow us wherever you download your podcast and be sure to share this podcast with someone by simply clicking on the share button. There's a new episode every other week. I hope you'll join me for the next Larry Dowdy Mike's side. See you then.